1: Welcome to Season 2 of Welfare, the weekly running podcast with me, Amy Lane. For me, training smart means feeling confident enough to test your body, but strong enough not to wreck it in the process. That's why, when I'm not running, you'll find me working on my core power and cardio fitness, often at F45. F45 targets all three, and I love every sweaty second, even if I do groan in class. Check out www.f45training.com forward slash Welfare to find out more about how you can get involved. Thanks, F45. Hi, team. Welcome back to episode eight of Well Far, the running podcast with me, Amy Lane. Last week, we learned how to take the dread out of dreadmill and fall in love with indoor running, not least because it can help stop us runners falling victim to sore knees and lower backs. Today, we're continuing the conversation on how we can become better runners, but rather than using cardio kit, today's tool is your gut. Plus, do listen to the end of the show for this week's stretch with Will Wheeler. London Yogis, you'll recognise him from one of the many studios that he teaches across the city, or maybe perhaps from Level 6 Yoga Studio in Peckham that he founded. When my diary allows, you'll find me there on a Saturday morning, getting in my yoga before the weekend really begins. Right then, let's get on with this week's News You Can News. Consuming daily probiotics leading up to a marathon can decrease your chances of experiencing GI distress from running 26.2. This is according to a new study published in the European Journal of Applied Physiology. Wow, that's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? But basically, the researchers found that the runners who took the probiotics had less nausea, gas, bloating and the urge to poop when running a marathon. Now, that's a new story I can really stomach. And on to today's shout out, which goes to Kirsten versus The World. Obviously, that isn't her real name, but it is her Instagram name. Kirsten smashed through her running wall and hit an 8K distance, which is 2K further than she was previously running. Well done, Kirsten. Now that we've got all of that out of the way, let's head into the studio to find out what today's expert thinks about that study I just mentioned, but also get her best advice on gut health for runners. Welcome, vegan. It's a pleasure to be here, Amy. Oh, I mean, I feel like the pleasure is all mine because <laughs> I am so excited to talk about guts and basically poo and everything that, goes <laughs> that, that we on, all do and no one actually wants to talk about. Right. But everyone's interested in, secretly. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my lab.
1: <laughs> Before we get into it, can you just give um, our listeners a run through of your health CV and how you ended up becoming the gut health doctor? Yeah, God, I'll try to a, a short
0: version of it, but um, I guess my first conscious encounter of the gut—I I got raised on a farm, so good gut health was inherent to my upbringing. You know, playing in the dirt, eating fresh fruit and veg, etc. But my first conscious encounter was actually when, in my final year of nutrition and dietetics, when my grandma actually passed away of bowel cancer, and I was really close to her, so it hit me quite hard. And I, I actually hated the gut. So my first encounter was actually a really negative one. And then I started working as a clinical dietitian, so in a hospital setting with really quite sick people and they were all coming to me of gut issues despite having diseases in like very different parts of their body like their kidneys or their head depression I was like what what is going on with this bloody gut like why is everyone complaining of gut issues so there wasn't really much research in that area at the time it was 2010 so I was like you know what I I owe it to my grandma as well as my patients to get to the bottom of the gut and find out more about it. So I did a PhD to try to understand whether we nourish the gut through the right nutrition, whether that would improve the health of our other organs like the kidneys, you know, our brain, our heart, etc. And fast forward that four-year PhD, it was a successful trial. So we found out that, yeah, actually – nurturing our gut with the right nutrition actually can have very far-reaching benefits. And I was also very lucky to be the dietitian or the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronised swimming team during my PhD, yeah, and found the girls that had the most performance anxiety also had the most number of gut issues. So highlighting it wasn't just this kind of disease state where the gut was connected to other organs, but also in, you know, not just healthy people, but elite athletes, um, there was this gut brain axis going on. So that ended up being around 2015. I was like you know what if i want to have an impact on the world really improve people's health and wellbeing it would it would be via the gut so that was all in australia I moved over to the uk 2015 um, to work at king's college in london where they do many different clinical trials looking at nutrition and to the gut and then i wrote the book eat yourself healthy and then just launched a
1: you know gut health food range called Bio and me and has it all been, because I remember us meeting, actually, and it, you must have only just been in London. It was about 2015. I and hadn't long been at Women's Health, and we met in an event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you And you mentioned what you were doing, and I, w- I was instantly interested. But the conversation has just exploded since then, hasn't it, around gut health? It's- it really has. And I think, you know,
0: I'm quite lucky to get into it, you know, earlier on before it's hit the headlines. But I've seen it hit the headlines and actually had... You know, personally, no desire really to get into public engagement and social media. I was a scientist by background, but I just started to get so frustrated that actually the media headlines were actually opposing all the really good research we were doing. And actually the fad messages were being fed to the general public instead of actually the messages around gut health could have really
1: meaningful impacts in their lives. Can we just for a second just explain what gut health is in like layman's terms and also exactly what the gut is? So gut health relates the functioning
0: of our entire digestive tract. So it's a nine metre long tube that essentially delivers food from entry all the way to exit. And I guess if I was to drill down why gut health is so important, there is really three main reasons. So the first one is the old saying, you are what you eat. It's probably not overly correct. It's more you are what you digest. So in order to get the most out of your food, essentially you need to have good gut health. The second element is along that nine meters of the digestive tract lays 70% of our immune system. So if we want things like less sick days, you know, lower risk of allergies and autoimmune conditions, essentially we have to have good gut health. And then the third element, which is really what's brought the fame, I think, to the concept, and that's the fact that In the lower part of our intestine, we have trillions of microbes, and it's, this is kind of what we call this new organ, our gut microbiota. So a bit of a sciencey yeah. word. I usually just say our GM, but it's, yeah, trillions of microbes that are doing things like producing vitamins, hormones, and we've even seen now um, that they can communicate to our brain. Unlike any other organ in the body, our gut can act independent of the brain, the big brain, telling it what to do. So it can kind of do things like digest food on its own. But, of course, with the big brain up there is, um, you know, quite bossy and likes to say, <laughs> do this, do that, and which is why, you know, if you're nervous or you've got a big run coming up, sometimes people can get gut symptoms because of that alone, because of their big brain is telling their little brain what to do.
1: How do you know if you have good gut health without coming to see an expert? Is there any kind of just like markers of like that your gut is working well? I really wish there was a single kind of measure <laughs> for good gut health. So asking things
0: like, do you have gut symptoms? When? How often do you get sick? If you have a wound, how long does it take to heal? Are you on medications? How many different types of plant-based foods are you having a week? Um, do you have a family history of different diseases? So there's quite a few different far-reaching sorts of um, aspects to think about when it comes to gut health. It's not just gut symptoms. That is one sign. But if you don't have gut symptoms, it doesn't necessarily mean you have good gut health. And I think that's a really important thing uh, to think about, given that we now know that having good gut health is linked to things like our mental health.
1: We've just covered then what good gut health is. But in your new book, Eat Yourself Healthy, you talk about the relationship between exercise and gut health. Can you tell me more about this and what like, the interplay is?
0: Yeah, so we think it is bi-directional and that exercise can impact our gut microbes mm-hmm. and in turn, potentially our microbes can impact our exercise performance. I think the strongest evidence is the fact that people who exercise tend to have a more diverse range of gut bacteria, which is associated with better overall health, so um, better mental health, heart health, etc. And we're not quite sure the mechanisms for that, but it might be the fact that people who exercise typically go outside and are exposed to more microbes in the air, you know, when you're going for long runs in the forest and things like that. And that essentially is giving you more a diverse range of the bacteria. So it's
1: not just what you eat?
0: Absolutely not. No, no, no. You know, we get microbes in from all uh, different places everywhere we go. In fact, everyone has like, we have a skin microbiota. We've got millions of microbes on our skin. We have like this cloud of microbes all on our skin. So, yeah, no, it's not just about food uh, for sure. Our environment really can impact our microbes. And we also think exercise can help kind of get the gut moving and in turn that might kind of help the microbes be happier, so to speak.
1: So if you, say, have poor gut health, How does that then affect your exercise performance? So if we think about symptoms aside...
0: The evidence for gut health and performance is quite limited. Uh, We do, like I said, see that people who have high performance have more diverse range of microbes, but we haven't really understood the mechanisms of whether it's, you know, the case of the chicken and the egg. Is it because the microbes are making people better performers because they can metabolise some of the lactic acid and all that sort of stuff? Or is it the fact that actually people who exercise go out and get more um, microbes in their gut from that way? So we're not quite sure. In fact, when we look at the overall body of evidence for things like probiotic, which are beneficial microbes, um, there isn't um, evidence at the moment to suggest that if you're an athlete and taking a probiotic, that will improve your performance. There has been some studies suggesting that that could be a thing, but they've done the clinical trials and unfortunately it doesn't seem to be as straightforward as, you know, take a probiotic and you're going to get your PB. <laughs> <laughs> and- Maybe one day we'll get the right strain, but at the moment, sadly not. Now, the I think the main area where we have the most evidence for it with Respected gut health and performance is around gut symptoms. And we do see that athletes have a really high rate, particularly marathon runners um, and endurance runners, of gut symptoms. And, you know, I guess if you were to break it down the reason why, there's probably three main reasons. You know, when you are doing these big long runs, the physical element of it. So you are, you've are you got a really upregulation of this sympathetic nervous system, which is kind of your adrenaline pumping. And what that does is draws a lot of the blood away from your gut lining to feed your muscles to get them moving. And if that happens for too long, you can kind of starve your uh, gut lining of oxygen. And that's why some of these really endurance runs can actually start to get a bit of blood in their poop and things like that, because they have essentially not fed their gut and that some of the gut tissue starts to erode. So that's like a really extreme case, uh, but that's one thing to think about and, you know, one of the contributing factors. Also the nutrition element. So if you are running any more than, you know, two hours at quite a moderate pace, then you do need to, you know, fuel your body and, you know, fueling your body so when the blood and oxygen is going to your muscles, you're actually putting something into your gut, often if your gut's not trained for it, it can kind of, you know, upset your gut because there's not much blood there. That's when you get runner's stomach. Exactly, yeah. So that can be another reason of, you know, making sure your nutrition's right when you are running. Uh, and then the third element's really around that gut-brain axis. So if you've got a big, you know, run coming up, uh, you know, a marathon, then you can get, you know, the, the nerves coming through from, you know, the thoughts that are going up in your head translate down into into your gut. And that can trigger things like your gut motility, which can result in things like diarrhea and, and those sorts of things. So I guess those three elements is kind of why gut symptoms are so common in yeah and endurance particular.
1: I read about a recent study, I mean it was on quite a small sample, but it looked at runners who took probiotics and runners that didn't. And the runners which took probiotics actually experienced less kind of stomach distress when running. Have you come across that study and do you have any kind of thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, so there's been a few studies kind of looking at, at that and if we look at all of the studies combined, I think that's important when we are trying to decide personally what we should do. Instead of just looking at one individual study, you look at what we call these systematic reviews. Now, again, that's quite sciencey, but essentially what that does is pulls all together those individual trials and looks at what the whole body of evidence says. And that just means it's less biased because it's looking at all different populations. Um, and overall, it suggests there's not enough evidence for people to start taking a probiotic. However, um, if... You know, you want to try one. The really important thing, and I talk quite uh, a lot about this and Eat Yourself Healthy, is making sure that you replicate exactly what they did in that clinical trial. So you make sure you're having the exact same strain of the um, bacteria because there's hundreds of different strains out there. And what we're finding is each different strain actually does different things. It's kind of like um, if you have vitamin D deficiency. You're not going to go and take an iron supplement and expect your vitamin D deficiency to improve. The same goes with probiotics. They all do different things. So it's really important you make sure you match the same strain at the same dose Also look at things like when did they take it? Did they take it fasted before breakfast or with food? Uh, And then how long should they take it before they start to see a benefit? So you actually really need to replicate it. I know it's it's very prescriptive and that's actually how we need to start treating probiotics if we want their therapeutic benefit. Just, you know, saying, oh, I'm just going to try probiotic. It really is not doing justice to probiotics because some probiotics actually can really have powerful benefits. We know that specific types of probiotics can really help for some people with irritable bowel syndrome. But if you just go take any, actually your your risk of improving symptoms is really, really low.
1: So, you know, if you're gonna pay the money, you may as well get the right one, right? I know one of your big things is that you should try and eat thirty portions of is it plants a week. Yeah. I'm I'm sat here with your new granola, <laughs> which I'm really excited about. And your top tip is to aim to eat thirty diverse plant foods a week for good gut health. Yeah. That that seems like
0: so much. It, it does. Ha- like it sounds like a lot, but there are so many simple tips you can do to achieve that. For example, that granola has fifteen different plant-based ingredients in the one box. You know, whatever you're having for breakfast, just add a teaspoon of mixed seeds and you'll get four points. Instead of always getting the red peppers, get the multi-variety pack. You know, same with the broccoli. Don't just have broccoli, get the multi-stir-fry pack. So it's just getting that diversity, and why that is, is because each different type of food, plant-based food, has different types of fibres which feed the gut bacteria and these other plant chemicals which feed the gut bacteria. So like the microbes, they have different preferences. So if we want to keep a really diverse range of microbes alive, which means... They give us more skills, so it's a good thing. Mm. We need to feed them that diversity. And we think that's why we've lost a lot of microbial diversity over our generations because we've really narrowed down the types of foods we're having. And that could be why things like allergies and obesity and things like that are all on the rise because we really haven't got that array of microbes that essentially protect us and do so many things from a metabolic point of view for our body.
1: That's really interesting because obviously we're in a culture of meal prep at the moment. So, you know, I'm very guilty of I I will eat the same lunch 5 days a week because I I batch cook. Yeah. So, is that potentially a negative kind of food habit for your gut health? Yeah, it it
0: probably is, but the thing is when you are doing this batch cooking, Try maximise the diversity. So get in that batch like 30 different types. So if you are having it five times, actually you're still getting your 30 over the week. Now, it's not just things like fruit and veg that count to the 30. It's any of your six plant-based food groups. So things like your whole grains, your nuts, your seeds, your legumes, which are the beans and pulses, your fruit and your veg. So actually you start to broaden up and go, oh, maybe it's not so hard. And, you know, don't go gung-ho straight away. Just
1: think every week, pick a new thing that you want to add to your diet. It's funny, isn't it? Because when you say plant-based, there is just certain foods which like come, come spring to mind which are the visual identity of a plant-based diet, but there is more to it than just avocados and broccoli. <laughs> there really is. In fact, if you just ate avocado and broccoli, you actually wouldn't have good gut health because it's too it lacks that diversity, so you wouldn't be feeding that majority of microbes. And another thing that runners go heavy on in their diet, actually, um, is carbs. Is there anything that runners should be thinking about when they're like carb loading for their gut health? Yeah.
0: So there's for runners, I think there's kind of two really separate diets they need to be aware of. So one is like their general, you know, most of the time diet where they're really trying to load up on the different types of plant based diversity. But a lot of people I see, because they are vulnerable to having gut symptoms, actually 24 to 48 hours before they go for you know, a big run, actually they need to cut down on some of these fibres and fermentable carbohydrates. Because what they do is the really important thing to, to be aware of is that dietary fibre, so that's the thing that's found in all our plant-based foods and essentially why it's so beneficial, human cells can't digest it. So when it actually goes through the majority of that digestive tract, it gets malabsorbed by human cells and it makes its way into the lower part of the digestive tract where the trillions of microbes are and that's where the fiber gets digested the microbes actually digest it and what they do is produce a range of beneficial nutrients but also some things like gas and that's why you can get a little bit bloated now these sorts of things are actually really beneficial for us you know overall but if we are running and putting a lot of pressure on our gut in addition to having a lot of that fermentation from those microbes of the fiber then that can stimulate things like you know the runner's diarrhea and some tummy pain and things like that. And they've done some really new studies, actually, one which just got released like two days ago, which showed that actually cutting down on some of these fermentable fibres leading up to a big run like a marathon actually improved people's performance because they could push themselves further. Mm. So I think if people are struggling with gut issues around the run, then there are things they can do about it. Don't just go, oh, running's not for me. There are tweaks that people can make in their diet.
1: Another complaint of runners with their stomach is often running gels and how that affects their stomach. What are your thoughts on whether running gels are good or bad in relation to gut health? Yeah, so I think when people are looking at nutrition during runs, they need to make sure that
0: whatever they're doing to avoid having gut symptoms, that they do train with it. It's not like, you know, just when you're having a marathon, you're going to try this new gel. It's just that's not an ideal thing. Because our gut is actually amazing at adapting to whatever we want to feed it. However, there are some types of things which are probably generally better tolerated. So things like glucose and dextrose. And the reason why they're better tolerated is because they're absorbed really high up that nine metre digestive tract. So anything that kind of isn't well digested and takes longer, things like the fibre... Um, they're not good because it kind of hangs around in the gut and puts more pressure on the gut when you're running and you just need that instant energy. There are some other things like fructose, fruit sugar. That's probably not ideal when you're running as well because our human body is only able to absorb a certain amount of the fruit sugar at once. So if we're having these gels and really they're dense in there, um, that can actually stimulate um, diarrhoea. So that's not a good one to have. And then also things like xylitol and sorbitol, some of these sugar alcohols, some of those energy bars actually are containing them. And again, they're not very well digested. So they actually can draw water from the body into the gut and actually lead to things like the fructose to the diarrhea. So I'd be avoiding uh, those two generally. If you really, really want to try and push your body and and see how it goes, then do it. But um, make sure you
1: train with it so your body can adapt Yeah, that makes total sense because obviously otherwise your body is under so much stress during a race as it is and then you're asking it to digest something it's never had before and it just
0: freaks. So I think that people should be not scared of things like the sugar, the table sugar, like the glucose and the sucrose because they're really well absorbed higher up and digest it and just feed your, en- your cells the energy that essentially it needs when you're running. You know, when you're not running, then yeah, don't like having too many added sugars in your diet because, you know, it's essentially just giving you calories and not all the other nutrients your body needs. So getting more of your sugars from natural foods like fruit, etc., when you're not running is really important. But when you're running, actually, you just need that instant energy. So people shouldn't fear. It. It's not damaging their gut health at all.
1: One thing I wanted to touch upon is you mentioned in the beginning that, you know, your personal story to to gut health and bowel cancer is such now a massive killer of women. Third biggest cancer killer in the world. Yeah, it's crazy. How do we all go about looking after our guts in such a way that we can ensure that we do everything possible that we try and protect ourselves? Generally what we see is Dietary fibre is
0: key and it comes back because that's our microbes' favourite food. So feeding them, in fact, there's a great stat which came out and it looked at, I think it was over 180 different studies that pulled together so it contained millions of people and suggested that for every 8 grams increase in fibre per day people were having, they would reduce their risk of heart disease by 19%, reduce their risk of type 2 diabetes by 15%, and reduce their risk of colon cancer by 7%. Now, 8 grams, like people are probably like, well, what, what does that actually yeah. mean? So 8 grams in that granola, once over that, 45 grams or 60 grams of that is 8 grams of fibre. But also having a large potato with the jacket, the skin on it, contains 8 grams. Having a pot of hummus with some crackers, whole grain crackers or veggie sticks is another 8 grams. Having a, ca- a cup of beans is also 8 grams of fibre. So it is totally doable. It just needs to be a daily habit. Um, And that literally, if the nation did that, we would have dramatically lower risks of all these sorts of things and and lower um, mortality, which is obviously something, yeah, that affects so many people. We all know someone who's been lost to, you know, cancer, so...
1: There is definitely a conversation which happens in the fitness world about how counting your macros can be very, very informative. But you can get to a point where it, it actually becomes negative because you become so obsessed with analysing your diet. Like, how, how do you suggest that people approach it?
0: And that's such a good point because some people go, oh, look, I'm going to have uh, the pear because it's got an extra one gram of fiber. but I'm not going to have the apple. And It's like, well, actually, it's. Fruit is more than fibre. It also contains these other plant chemicals which feed the gut bacteria. So diversity really is key. So I think it's about just having a general idea of what one portion of fruit and veg are. Uh and then just uh, as well as the whole grains, and just kind of when you're thinking about your diet, not enter into an app, but just go, "Oh, yeah, I've had you know a banana and a you know a bunch of grapes today, and yesterday, yeah, I had a, a little cup of um strawberries and some cherries, like just thinking about it in terms of the whole food and using i've again, I've got um, little portion size in the book using your hand, so it's not right. weighing anything, it's just about visualizing the different sorts of um portions we're talking about and having a general idea of you know, what constitutes to one serve of veg and are you getting in five? So just being a bit more conscious with your consumption. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it is depending on who we're talking to because you're right, some people are so fixated they weigh their food, which is so unhealthy, mm. in my opinion, whereas other people actually have
1: no idea even what different, you know, types of veg are out there. I want to take a quick moment to do another shout-out about F45, the partner of today's podcast. The only class I've ever regretted is the one I haven't done. After a pretty stressful week last week, I'll be putting some non-negotiable time in my diary to head to my local F45 studio in Peckham. I always leave sweaty, smiling and feeling mentally and physically stronger. Thank you, F45. If you were going into any supermarket outside of London, say where the food aisles are just a bit normal and a bit more basic, yeah. how would you approach or how would you educate a runner in what to what to be putting in their basket?
0: Yeah. So
1: again, not talking about the
0: one or two days pre-run um, right? because yeah. I think that diet's a little bit different to the every general diet, but again, it really is going for diversity. So instead of just getting your chickpeas, getting the four bean mix, and I think even out, you know, west most places do have that four bean mix. Yeah. The same, not just relying on the broccoli, but actually getting the multi-pack. And again, I think a lot of those places do have the multi-packs. When it comes to whole grains, I think it is important we to try and get a diversity. We, we certainly do fixate on wheat, not that wheat is bad, but if that's all we're having... We're actually depriving our microbes of that diversity. So, you know, on Amazon, you can buy half a kilo of mixed grains, got like five different grains in it. You put it in the microwave for 12 minutes or whatever, and then you've got, you know, five different types of grains there. So you can do some shopping, you know, online that I think can really help broaden that up. And it's because they're dry, they're not already cooked. Actually, it's quite cheap. It's like four pounds for the half a kilo. Um, which will last you, you know, like two months.
1: It's funny because if I went back three years ago, right, I spent so much more money on food when I was trying to create this perfect diet. And actually, I've come to realise that well, it doesn't need to be expensive. Um, you know, and we, we were talking just before we started recording today about making beans. Yeah. And actually how cheap beans can be. So actually, there doesn't need to be a premium on healthy eating. It really doesn't. And it's...
0: you know, they're so versatile as a camera what we're talking about. You can put them in so many different meals. And it's not just about like the baked beans. There's so many different types of, you know, beans out like the black beans I put in the chocolate fudge. Like it makes it so chocolatey. And it's beans. Like you wouldn't even guess that it's in the recipe. And then other things like the butter beans in like a curry makes it so creamy and really absorbs the flavour. So yeah, legumes for me are definitely an underrated superfood.
1: <laughs> I have one more question relating to diet and that's protein powder. Mm. does protein powder help or hinder your gut I know that's a big one and it's because obviously there's so many different protein powders out there but those type of supplements are they okay for gut health in general yeah
0: it's such a good question to ask so um we think about it. Protein is more absorbed high up in our intestine, so it doesn't really get to the gut bacteria. However, if we're having really large amounts of protein, which a lot of these protein drinks have, a lot more than you can absorb at any one time, then actually we malabsorb it. It gets into the lower part of our intestine where the bacteria are, and the bacteria ferment protein. Is that what makes protein farts? Yeah, because that is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not just the farts, the smelly farts, but also actually the microbes don't do good things with protein. They can produce some chemicals which we think have more toxic effects. So actually having a really high-protein diet is not ideal for gut health. Of course, some athletes really do need to bulk up their protein for their muscle synthesis. But what we see, if they're having high protein, they also need to compensate by adding extra fibre in. So then when they've got a little bit of protein in their gut where the bacteria are lower down, they've also got the fibre there to kind of compensate with some of those probably less healthy chemicals that are being produced by the bacteria. So the fibre is kind of key to add on
1: to that. So rather than just putting your scoop in your shaker, spend a bit of time and make it into a smoothie with some kind of... Yeah, or just address. add some
0: oats in the bottom oh. of it, actually, and just
1: chew down the oats with the protein. I'm so happy right now because my go-to in the mornings, my smoothie now has oats in it.
0: No way! Yeah! You're ahead of your time. You don't even know why you're doing it, but your micro's <laughs> probably told you, hey, I need some fiber there. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm going to actually get you to review my smoothie and you yeah, can yeah, tell yeah, me how true. I can improve yeah, yeah. it for gut health. So I have frozen blueberries yep. because they're more economical. Yeah. Um, I put chia seeds in there. Good. Um, I put um, some kind of alternative milk, which we have in the house. It's normally almond milk. Yep. Is it calcium portafide? Uh Oh, good question. Yes, it is. Good. Um, but I've only just become more conscious with that. Females really we're at such high risk of osteoporosis,
0: and we don't realize until like fifty, and we've got weak bones. I'm like, oh my god, why did I not
1: just make that simple change when I was younger? Because you build your bone health, yeah, it yeah. Uh, peaks in your thirties, yeah, right? Absolutely. So yeah, so a fortified calcium good milk, work. and then I put in some kind of scoop of nut butter and some ice, and I blend it.
0: Oh, very good! Look at that. I'm really impressed. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm literally very impressed. Oh, guys, <laughs> I'm feeling quite chuffed <laughs> with <of>
1: myself now. <laughs> um, also, because, yeah, it's it's just a great start to the day, isn't it? It's a really it? easy one, yeah.
0: For some people, though, who are having gut issues, I think smoothies can be... Probably something which trigger their symptoms because it can break down the fibers, which mean it goes through their body a bit faster, right so if people are having things like bloating issues, I'd prefer you to have um whole oats, whole fruit in in a bowl rather than on the go in a drink form. But if you're not having those issues then keep up with a smoothie,
1: that's a really interesting
0: one i yeah. hadn't i'd also if that. I'm going to be really picky, <laughs> yeah, I'd on. also add a teaspoon of mixed seeds instead of having just the chia seeds remember the diversity is what's key.
1: So would that be like pumpkin seeds, sunflower Some seeds.
0: seeds? Sesame seeds. You know, like um, one of the Whole food stores gives you like the omega-3 pack. he has got four different types in there. Same price. Switch it up.
1: I, I have that in my cupboard. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to start doing that. Um, I've got time for one last question. Before, sadly, we need to wrap this up because I'm learning so much. So I know everyone that's listening in is going to be learning loads of tea. What's your practical top three tips for good gut health?
0: So, one of the things we've touched on quite a lot of is getting the thirty different types of plant-based foods in a week. So, trying to aim for that. So, if you just think, if you're listening to this right now, jot them down over the past seven days what you've had. The other thing I. Find is really helpful is doing my gut directed yoga flow in the morning. In fact, there's been a clinical trial which has shown that for people, particularly who have gut symptoms, doing a gut directed yoga flow for 12 weeks had equal efficacy, so improvement in symptoms, as this kind of gold standard diet for things like IBS. So, actually, it's not all, if you're getting gut symptoms, it's not all about your diet. Doing things like a yoga flow is really helpful. It's just getting in positions that helps kind of flex the gut. So, I start the morning off doing 15 minutes of that. And do you
1: have a go to video? that you do.
0: No, but in the book is the, I guess, the exercise. So I work with Richie Norton. So he's a yoga guru. um, And I gave him the clinical trial, which had the moves they used and that to show the clinical benefit of of doing the gut-directed yoga flow. I'm like, here, I need this condensed down. (laughs) So he he extracted some of the moves out. Um, So it's step by step in the book. Like, you know, I've just gotten a puppy.
1: (laughs) Pistachio.
0: There has been studies to show that having a puppy can actually increase your bacterial diversity. So, and in younger kids, it actually reduces their risk of allergy. So if you are thinking about in the future having a baby, maybe start getting a puppy now so in the future to come
1: when the baby's a little when you have a baby you've got the dog there to reduce its risk of allergy <laughs> oh my gosh my husband is going to be listening <laughs> yeah, yeah. to this episode because i'm going to be like more ammo so if if he's not listening in i am going to play this podcast <laughs> Pint, in our kitchen hint. she yeah. made me say this line i didn't want
0: to say it <laughs>
1: no. for everyone that's listened in today that wants to find out more obviously they can pick up the book but on bookshelves now Yes, yes. Eat Yourself Healthy, all major book retailers, or ask for it for Christmas. Great one. But where else can they talk to you? You're big on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, so at the Gut Health Doctor. um, But also I've got a website... Um, the gut
0: uh, and then Facebook and Twitter as well. Amazing.
1: Thank you so much for coming in today, Megan. It has been so great. I can't wait to put all of those tips into practice. And I really hope these guys that are listening in start doing it too and share it with us on Instagram. Please do.
2: Well, hello, everybody. My name is Will Wheeler, and welcome to the Well Chill Cooldown Stretch. I'm really happy to guide you today through a gentle cooldown post run. I hope you had a strong and a great session. We're going to go through a couple of nice moves now to bring the body down and start to relax. I'd like you to come to rest on the ground. So, ideally, this is a stretch that should be done indoors. So, you can do it on carpet. If you've got a yoga mat, even better, please feel free to roll out your yoga mat now. Rest down on your back, bend the knees, bring the soles of the feet to the floor. Allow your head to lengthen, tuck the chin slightly so the back of the neck and the spine is long. Rest your hands on your belly and take three deep breaths. This is a great moment to check in with your run today and to see how the body is feeling now. Allow any tension around the face, the jaw, the lips to settle. And keep breathing slowly. Inhale for a count of three. Exhale for a count of three. Inhale for a count of three. Exhale for a count of three. We're gonna do one more breath exercise just like this. Slowly inhale, one, two, three. Exhaling through the nose, three, two, one. We're now gonna work into the glutes. Bring your right knee into your chest and squeeze your right knee in really close to the body exhale, hook your right ankle onto the top of your left thigh. So the right ankle is just beneath the kneecap and it's pressing into the thigh muscle. I don't want you to work too strongly here, but start to gently press your right knee to the side. You have an option to take this a little bit deeper to keep the glutes strong. You can start to press down your left foot really firmly into the yoga mat or into the carpet underneath you and then begin to raise the hips up and off the ground. So the left thigh will start to lift and your right knee will open even further to the side. Your hips, pelvis, thighs, buttocks all really strong and lifting away from the floor. You're balancing on your left foot and on your shoulders. Slowly come down and release. Extend your right leg out long and your left leg out long. Take the arms up and overhead. Bring it back down. We're going to repeat those stretches onto the other side. Bring both soles of the feet onto the floor. Rest the soles of the feet flat. Inhale, pick up the left foot and hook the left ankle onto the top of the upper thigh, just beneath the knee. You can use your left hand to press open your knee to the side a little bit, so you're opening in to a stretch, gently opening the glutes. We're just beginning to gently open and create space. Check that you're still breathing. Okay, now slowly, just like on the last side, press down into the right foot and then start to lift hips, pelvis, thighs strongly up and off the floor so your pelvic bowl is floating and the shoulders are balancing on the mat. We're here for one more breath. Your left knee is pointing out to the side. Exhale, slowly begin to release and then come down. Stretch out both the legs and reach the arms up and overhead. Bring the knees in really close. We're going to squeeze the knees in tight, pressing the lower back down onto the floor raise up your head chest and chin use your abs very strongly for this press down the lower back into the floor and round the back so your abs are strong and you're beginning to lightly engage the lower back release we'll put the soles of the feet back onto the floor the knees point up towards the ceiling inhale hook your right ankle onto your left upper thigh just below the knee. You did this before, so it's a very similar stretch. Now we're going to raise the foot and the leg off the floor and interlace the hands behind your left thigh. Bring the knees in towards the chest and press the feet very strongly away from you. So there is a two-way action going on. Flex your feet. This will protect your knees. It's a great post-run stretch. You're able to get a little deeper into the lower back here and also work into the right glute for this stretch. Three deep breaths, maybe bringing back that count of three. Exhale, three. Inhale. Exhale. Last one, a deep breath. And release, exhale. Place the foot back down. We're going to take it to the other side, hooking the left ankle onto the top of the right upper thigh, just below the knee. Inhale, weave the hands behind the back of the right thigh and then begin to draw the knee in towards you. Keep your right shin and calf muscle parallel with the yoga mat. So try not to let the heel drop too low to hover above the mat or lift too high. Keep it parallel with the ground. Make sure that your lower back and your tailbone is on the floor, you don't want your lower back to hover here. Try to keep the lower back and the spine really neutral with the ground. There's going to be two more breaths. Release your legs. Bring your knees in towards your chest, give yourself a really big squeeze in, squeeze the knees tight towards the chest, hug in, and then exhale, extend both legs up to the ceiling, so bum and hips on the yoga mat, legs raised, soles of the feet flexing and pressing up towards the top of the room. Release your left leg down, inhale, interlace the hands around the back of the right leg. So this stretch is a little different, it's more for the hamstrings and now the right leg is straight. Press the right foot up really strongly. Option 1 you can hold here, for many of us this will be a strong enough stretch. If you'd like to go a little bit deeper, slide your hands up towards your calf. You may need to take your head up for this. You might need to raise the nose to meet the knee so that you can start to switch your abs on. Option. Either hold here, or if you can, try to lower your head down to the yoga mat so you're still holding the back of the calf muscle. You've made a little basket with your hands. Fingers are interlaced. Drawing the leg towards the body. Two deep breaths. Inhale exhale, inhale, exhale, release the old breath. Place the leg down onto the floor, we're switching sides. Let's take the left knee in, inhale, hug in the knee, and then start to extend the left leg up and into the air. Flex the left foot really strongly, Press your leg firm, there should be no bend in the knee. If your hamstring's a little tight, try to encourage length through the calf and through the hamstring. We start by bringing the hands to that interlaced position. Inhale, if you wish to go a little deeper, slide your hands up to the calf muscle now, and take the head with you, the chest and the chin, so the lower back is flat and really grounded, but the abs are switched on. Your belly button is drawing in towards your spine. Hold it here, and if you can, lower your head towards the floor. That will give your spine great length. Two more breaths. Release the legs slowly. Exhale, with both legs extended down on the ground, drop your knees and your feet over to the right and then back to centre, drop your feet and knees over to the left. Do that one more time. Knees and feet over to the right and the knees and the feet over to the left. Bring the knees in, rock and roll your body backwards and forwards as if to massage your spine. You're rocking up and you're rocking back. And when you've got enough momentum, find your way up to seated. Sit comfortably, crossing the legs and lengthening the spine. And take a moment now that you've had five minutes or so to stretch out post-run, just checking out how you feel, how your breath is perhaps a little different. Noticing how the legs feel, having stretched them and moved them around. We're going to work a little bit deeper into the hips. Find your way up into standing. Bring your big toes and the feet about yoga mat distance apart. So this is slightly wider than your hips and uh, definitely a little wider than the shoulders. So we're starting to open out through the feet, the heels slightly in and the big toes out to the side. Bring your hands into a prayer position in front of your chest. Prepare to deeply bend the knees. Sit low, coming into a yogi squat. We'll slide our elbows onto the inside parts of the thighs, inside of the knee and then sit your bum back, spread your lower back, and lift the chest. This can be a really strong stretch, so if you find it hard, here's a couple of options. It's tricky sometimes to get the heels down to the ground, so you could raise the heels slightly. If you have a couple of blocks around, small blocks, you could use them, or maybe a book. Pressing the heels into the book. This will enable you to start to push the heels downwards and open your knees further. Remember, you don't want to have your knees rolling and collapsing inwards here. We're trying to do the opposite and promote space through the hip. You've been here a while. You've got two more breaths to go. Breathe in. Breathe out slowly. One more. If the shoulders have rounded forwards, roll the shoulders back. Spine is nice and long. Use your glutes very strongly, stand up, press the feet down and come all the way up to stand and reach the arms over the head. Exhale, relax the arms along the side of the body. Stand there in a neutral position. If your feet are still wide, please just toe heel them in a little bit so now the feet are parallel. Feet are directly underneath your hips. Notice if you give lots of weight forwards to the toes or to the heels, come to a centred position. So this posture is about equal standing, sharing the weight evenly between right and left. Take a deep breath in, raise the arms up and over the head. Inhale, stretch, push your ribcage forwards and your hips forwards and then arch open through the chest. It's a big backbend stretch, getting lots of air and breath into the lungs. And then exhale, round it forwards. You're going to forward fold all the way down. So the hip stays really high and then you can catch a hold of opposite elbows here and move over a little to the right and to the left. We call this one ragdoll, so we're letting the head hang as if we have no spine. We're just letting the body forward fold. Head is really heavy, if you're holding your head in any way or your neck, let your head relax. Tilt the tailbone up and then forward fold, sharing a little more weight to the balls of the feet so the heels get slightly lighter. Slowly release your hands, put your fingertips onto the floor and bend the knees. Find your way into a seated position. We're going to do a short meditation and breath exercise to close the practice. Sit in a really comfortable way. This might be for you sitting up on a chair or on the edge of the sofa. Don't sit too far back and get too comfy. We need to stay upright for this. Rest the soles of the feet down and spread the toes. Take a breath in and elongate your back. Breathe out slowly through your nose. I'm going to talk you through a three-part breath exercise to neutralise the body, and it also helps us see a release of tension through the spine as well. Inhale into the belly. Breathe out through your nose from your belly. Inhale into the belly and the side of the ribcage. Exhale from the side of the ribcage and the belly. Inhale, belly, ribcage and the top of the chest. Exhale from the top of the chest, the side of the rib cage, and the belly. This might feel very slow, so try to encourage a slower breath. Reset if you need to, and then join in again. Take a deep breath into your belly, side ribs, top chest. Exhale, top chest, side ribs, lower belly. Inhale, belly. Rib cage, chest. Exhale, chest. Rib cage, belly. One more. Inhale, belly. Rib cage, chest. Exhale, chest. Rib cage, belly. Stay seated. Stay still and steady. And just start to breathe as yourself. Let go of any of the techniques from the breathing exercises, let your breath neutralize. When you feel ready to, release your legs and come to rest on your back. Same position as when you started, this is going to be our final relaxation, Shavasana. Rest down, make any adjustments so that your body can get super comfortable here, it should feel very relaxing. If you have the advantage of having any cushions or blankets and you want to make it a little more cosy, feel free, and then rest on your back. Turn the palms so they face upwards. This helps your shoulders to gently roll open. It's a subtle movement, but it's perfect post-run. You're able to allow your shoulders and your chest to lightly open. Soften the skin across the belly, the hips, and then part the feet a little wider than usual. Just like before, you might use one of those breath exercises, or you could start to bring your awareness to your mind. clearing any thoughts, and just noticing the sensations in the body. Noticing how each time you breathe, maybe the clothes move. Each time you exhale, how the clothes move. Keep watching your breath. Three more rounds of breath. and when you're ready you can either stay here for a little longer or you can start to bring the knees in, roll over to one side and make your way up to seated. That's the end of our well chill cool down stretch today. Thank you all for joining in with the practice and I hope you found the stretches useful and there's a little more calmness in your body, your mind and your breath. Thank you for joining me, my name is Will Wheeler it was great to teach you today you can find me across london teaching various classes and events i run a studio called level six peckham and we run a variety of classes and offer some amazing food and drink in our seasonal cafe as well so you can check that out it's at level six peckham thank you
1: team thank you so much for listening if you like this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe. It really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too. Don't forget to use hashtag WellFar on all your IG posts because I love seeing them. Thanks very much, guys. Before I go, I just want to say a final shout out to F45 for supporting my mission of helping you guys get well fit so you can run far. I genuinely couldn't have done this season without them head to f45training.com forward slash welfare to join a global fitness community like no other.
2: Sick of being upsold at gyms?